Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Welcome to the new episodes of Radio Rehab. I'm Dana, and I'm a recovering addict and an alcoholic. I'm clean and sober right now, but I've struggled with the disease of addiction for most of my adult life. It began when I was a teenager. I've had bouts of sobriety, and even during the bad times, there's always been some part of me that wanted to live life the right way, the way I am now. This show isn't just for addicts, it's for everyone. Some of my guests will be familiar to you, but their stories will be new, heartbreaking, and awe-inspiring. If you aren't one of us, you surely know us. We are your wives. Your husbands. Your daughters. Your sons. And we've gone through hell to get to the other side. This show is dedicated to the ones who didn't make it. Welcome to another episode of Radio Rehab. It's the Super Bowl Sober Style episode. I'm Dana, here with producer Shar. Hey, how's it going? Who's over there? And uh, yeah, today's show, in honor of Super Bowl 50, uh, we've got Ask an Addict. We've got the Super Bowl segment, which also includes tips on how to stay sober during said event. We've got Drunker Southern coming up later in the show and Epic Addict Fail. Uh, so for our Ask an Addict section, which which we've now decided to call Ask an Addict, so it has a name. It's really when you guys text or call the number 415-496-9511 or send us an email, radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. That's G-O-T-O productions.com. And you, you can ask a question, make a comment. Uh, we got We did some last week. We did an email... And a couple of the text questions, but we weren't, there were like so many, we're not able to get to all of them. So I figured we'd do some this week before we get to the Super Bowl stuff. And don't think that we don't have too many that we don't want more from you. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. (laughs) Because no offense to anyone, but we have to kind of sift through them because some are a little, you know, like, no, everybody knows the answer to that question. Like, okay, here's no offense to you who wrote this in, but. Is pot really considered a drug? Really? I mean, I think if I address that question on the air, people would be like, uh, yeah, she's lame. It's it's a drug, yeah. It's a, I mean, if, if think is? about this. <laughs> okay, here's how you can answer that question. Is this a drug? Bust it out and use it in Texas. And then you tell me, is it a drug? <laughs> well, let me know what happens. If, if you get through that, nothing happens, it's probably fine. You know, but that, that's just my take on that. Yeah, it's like, it's like wellness formula. Yeah, it's probably fine. Weed. Uh, maybe it's a little different. <laughs> but here in San Francisco, you know, it's like cops don't care. I hear that all the time. Like, oh, well, you know, I, I had a bottle, um, or, or they had like spray paint and they were doing graffiti and they were smoking a joint. And the cop comes over and all, like busts them for the graffiti and just makes him put the joint out. What's, were you the one I was telling that story to of... Uh... It wasn't the Super Bowl, but it was when the Giants were in the World Series in 2010. And so uh, we were playing the Texas Rangers. And they, uh, the reporters, obviously, from Texas, all came out here to San Francisco to cover when, like, you know, when they were, when the games were here in, in, the, in the city. Uh-huh. And they were doing something in front of the, like, there was, like, a news report where he's like, I'm here in McCovey Cove in front of AT&T Park and blah, 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 blah. And then he goes, he's just like, and somebody's smoking reefer. <laughs> no. Somebody's smoking weed somewhere around here. It went, Seriously? It went totally viral. If I can that find is it, hilarious. If I can find the audio of it, I'll play it before the end of the show. But it was like this guy going, I, I forgot the exact lingo that it was something like that. But he that. said reefer. It was reefer that is or weed, awesome. but he was like freaking out because of somebody smoking here. And I was like, oh, I guess that doesn't happen in Texas all that much. Yeah, no, that never happens in Texas. And it happens quite commonly in California. I mean, especially in San Francisco. In the Bay Area, it's like, I mean, please. How many like, you know, I, it's not called a weed distillery, but that's almost the, the word I used, weed distillery. Yeah, I'm talking about 
dispensaries. Or, or where, you know, okay, if you have a club card and you can go in there, those, the clubs, uh-huh. the weed clubs, where you can basically get anything with THC in it. Oh, my God, you can get, oh, I don't want to be selling, I'm promoting it, but, but you can basically get milk with THC in it. You can get olive oil to cook with. It's, you would be amazed at how many things have THC in it that you just go in there and buy. It's like It's like if Walmart... If everything in Walmart had a drug or alcohol content in it, like that's what it's like. It's completely crazy. So anyway, Ask an Addict is the segment where I respond to your questions that you've sent in. Uh, This one I found was an interesting one. Can a person be too young to become addicted to alcohol and drugs? No. I think I'm I'm not so much living proof of that as some other people that, that I've seen who started doing things when they were like eight, really super young. Um... But no, research and experience show that the younger someone starts using alcohol or drugs, the greater their chances that they will become addicted. That's why, uh, you know, when I see people who are sober at the age of 22, they had a a really compact, action-filled drug history. I mean, they went down really quick. You know, when you start using and drinking really young, you you pick up momentum if you've got the disease you'll pick up momentum you know and i've seen people have three duis they're in like the multiple offender program on their 21st birthday can you imagine yeah that's kind of crazy yeah and they, i mean they take they take your license like some of those people never get their license back but they take your license and you've got to go to this school you've got to go to like dui school mm-hmm. and then they sentence you to meetings which i've seen a lot of people get sober that way personally it's something, you know, for me, I had to hit bottom. I had to come to the program on my own. That's the only way I'm going to do anything is. Yeah, I saw what happened to you when yes, you I were know. sentenced to You meetings. were there. <laughs> but, yeah, like, sentenced, yeah, being sentenced to meetings, it makes it like something you don't want to do. It's like, uh, okay, it's not, you're not ready well, for it, you don't want to do it. I mean, like, it's the, like, for me, like, that's like the stubborn, it was a stubborn brat in me. And yeah, that's I, that's what a lot of alcoholics and addicts are. We, yeah, we are stubborn. It's, it's you know, I mean. If I if my mom tells me when I was a kid if my I'm like I was gonna clean my room and then my mom says go clean your room I'll be like heck no I'm not gonna I clean my room hated that <laughs> I don't know if that's because we're both that might be because we're both Libras I don't know <laughs> I hated that though I could pull off oh, that's the worst but, still to this day my mom does that and I hate it I tell her I'm gonna do something and then she's like well you should have done it yesterday which is like completely futile and then but, I'm like I don't want to do it anymore yeah exactly and then I'm like well now I'm not. You know, it's like literally I'm shooting my, I'll shoot myself in the foot. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, that that's definitely addict mentality. Oh, you found it? Yes, yes. Okay. Too. Okay, so th- this is what producer Char was talking about. This is this is the newscaster from what, Texas, who's here in San Francisco. Yeah, it's, his name is Newey Scruggs. That's a great name. And he's from Texas. And he was of recording. course, with that name. So anyways, yeah. This is San Francisco, and I can tell you, right over there, there's some people smoking weed because it's coming this way. We are truly, we are truly in San Francisco. Hey, look, I'm standing here I'm like, that's not cigarettes. That's weed. That's weed. Is it legal there? Back to that's not cigarettes. Back to you. That's weed. That is hilarious. Yeah, only, oh, I was going to say only in San Francisco, but it's more like only in San Francisco when you're from another state does that happen. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're all baffled by it. Okay, and the next question we have an ask an addict, someone wrote in or texted rather, does marijuana use lead to the use of other drugs? Because some people call it the gateway drug and I definitely don't think I'm an addict. Okay, well, only I can't diagnose whether or not you're an addict. But so the, the fact on that from from and again, I'm just an expert from experience. I'm not a doctor, but the fact on that is uh, most marijuana smokers do not go on to use other illegal drugs. And long-term studies of high school students show that. Actually, few young people who use other illegal drugs without using marijuana first, that's also true. So, I mean, it's kind of six of one, half a dozen in the other. Using marijuana, here's the thing about, about, I'll stop calling it marijuana because... That just sounds it's really weed. Using, it's weed. It's weed. Using reefer, <laughs> it gives you the reefer madness. No. Okay, no, but what it does, here's how it puts you in danger, in my opinion, of, of using other drugs. It puts you in contact with people who use and sell other drugs and are more likely to be exposed to and urged to try other drugs 
when you're with people doing that. It's like, it's not like, oh, you smoked weed and, and now you're going to do heroin. You know what I mean? And I hear people say that a lot, like pot's the gateway drug. And I mean, for me personally, I am an addict. I did become a full-blown addict. And the first drug I tried was pot and I hated it. And I don't know when I did it again after that. I mean, it was immediately, I was like 13. I, I did it. It was with some friends. I immediately got really hungry and really tired, which you hear commonly from people. I think people who smoke, who, who really enjoy smoking weed and like that's their thing, I think usually it makes them paranoid. It's almost like the way cocaine affects other people who are addicted to cocaine. It's like it just kind of... They have a different body chemistry. So, like, some people, you know, like, some people can do speed and go to sleep, you mm-hmm. know, and then some people, it revs them up. Just the thing is, it, it just puts you in front of other people because that's one thing it did do for me on that time is I didn't like it. I, you know, wasn't able to function, and I was, you know, kind of a control freak at that point. Like, I wanted full control of, of my surroundings and my body because, you know, you're you're 13. You don't want to be embarrassed. You don't right. want to do something stupid. You don't want to fall asleep and perhaps snore. You know, you don't want to get date raped. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that you don't want to do. So, right. I mean, but that night I was introduced to people who did other drugs who uh, one guy I think actually was a dealer. He was more he was more like a pusher. He was more kind of like the dealer for a dealer because we were all young. But these kids I think were like fifteen. They were just a couple of years older than me. But so at that point I met people that did it. So that's how pot was kind of a gateway drug, but not really. Mm-hmm. You know, not just by virtue of the fact that it exists. Right, no, right, right. but it introduced me to people who did, and it also made me it made me not feel comfortable saying, no, I don't want that. It, it gave me that whole thing where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, you know, the peer pressure thing. Right. Like, I don't, it's not that I wouldn't turn something down I didn't want to do, but I would definitely make up an excuse for it. Like, oh, yeah, no, uh, I can't. I'm getting drug tested tomorrow. <laughs> you know, some, some cra- yeah, I'm, I'm a convicted felon. I'm like 13, really hardcore. You know, something <laughs> like that. That That's probably the excuse. I'm sure, that, you know, now that I think about it, that probably is the excuse I made because, you know, I'm ridiculous. And addicts lie. It's what we do. And also addicts use because they're not comfortable in their own skin. And that's certainly something I was. Right. So I think that's that's my take on it. I don't think pot is a gateway drug if you're not an addict, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, like, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that I know, like, really, I don't, I don't want to say that you're stupid if you, do, if you do pot, but I guess unassuming people that you would not normally see, like, people that you don't usually think is like a total pothead mm-hmm. or like are into like oh I totally need to function with like pot you know like I know it's eat. so weird those are the people who have a different body chemistry yeah, it's like, like they smoke weed in order to like go on a bike ride or a hike and like write an article it's like r- really exactly like executives and stuff like that you know yeah They're- it makes me stupid <laughs> well you know what's so funny is like I uh one of a startup that I worked with uh an online radio station a few uh, years back. Mm-hmm. The dude had the place total stoner, and he uh, he opened he wanted to start it up from his apartment complex in a little corner. And that's he, that's very stoner. Yeah, and, and I like, don't want to leave home, but I want to do a startup and, company. But he oh, well, the thing is, is he he had some cash, so he owned the building and he took the corner studio, the corner studio, and turned it into. "Quote unquote," a radio station, but right. then and but then he was so he was one of those stoner guys that was just like, "Duh, why wouldn't anybody want to come here and do a radio show?" Like he would invite people, be like, "Like if if I go, hey, I'm gonna have Aisha Tyler on the show tomorrow," and then be like, "Oh, she's coming in." I was like, "No, she's not coming in. I'm, oh. call, I'm gonna have her on the phone because I'm not gonna have her walk across a courtyard." Into your little right. pot smoking past corner, the pool, past the weed smoke, right? And, yeah, exactly. But then what was funny is his one of the people that he um, he rented the other apartments to, like the next the next uh, studio apartment next door. Kid was a total wake and bake dude. So oh wow! The, so like I'd come in and then dude is smoking, and then his next door neighbor or next door tenant. Is on the couch and he'll be like, 
Hey, hey, what's going on? Wow, man. What's going on? You're awesome. You're so talented. We're going to play some radio today. And then, oh, wow. And then I'd be like, all right, I'm just going to sit here and do what I promised I was going to do for this guy. You While know, not being high. All right, like contact high. And, like, and, then, and then he goes, I got to go. I'll check you later. I got to go to work. And then he like went, he left. To right? work like that? Well, you know, because he was like in boxer shorts and something. So he like went next door. He went next door to his apartment, and then like half an hour later, he came out. He had slacks on. He had a button-up shirt. His hair was slicked back. He's like, "Hey, Shar, I've got to go to work now, so I'll see you later." Oh my <laughs> god, that guy's amazing. And I was like, "Dude, it's Clark." Kent on weed. <laughs> that is amazing, Stoner Man. So I don't know why oh, I went to the wow. random story, but that, but listening to that, listening to you talk about no, no, I get it, no, because that's somebody who can completely function on it, but he's probably not an addict. Like I doubt you'll catch that guy smoking weed and drinking beer. You know, it's like pot's kind of a, it's in a, a world of its own. It's in a class by itself because people can smoke pot and not really become addicted to other things, never hurt themselves or anyone else, and function in society. Now, take a heroin addict or a crack addict, and no way. You can't go, you can't make it through a full hour of doing something without either looking sketchy, acting sketchy, being sketchy, or needing to go to the bathroom 50 times to do more. You know, it's like it. Well, I mean, you maybe can in the beginning stages of your addiction, but dude, give it six months, even right. no way. But that's I. I love that that a guy does that. It's so funny. Everybody you know now, listeners, everyone you know now, <laughs> look at them and just assume immediately that that person wakes up and takes three bong rips to the head before they even get in the shower. Like teachers, you know, like a really prim and proper <laughs> lady wearing high heels, wearing her labatons, you know, with. Black shoes with red on the bottom. And just assume that that's her, that that's her vibe, that that's what she does. It's funny. I, I just, I think that's interesting because anybody could. But it's like as far as addicts go who are usually in their full-blown addiction, I think you can spot us a mile away. You know, because when I talk to people, I'm like, yeah, um, I, I need to, you know, when I have to do some amends or when I have to come clean with people, it's like, hey, uh, you know, I'm sober now. I got to tell you something. You know, I was, I was really loaded when such and such happened. And they're like, you think? Really? No, you know, it's like, I, I, you're, we're never telling anybody something they don't know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, they know. E- everyone's hip to us. <laughs> uh, I think we, we, we just, I think that's pretty much all the time we have for those questions. I, I th- maybe we'll just do two questions in sterile, but hey. <laughs> that's, all the ha- that's all the time we have for today, later. <laughs> no, that's all the time we have for asking at it. Because we still got, we still got the Super Bowl segment Drunker Southern coming up later and Epic Addict Fail at the end of the show. If you have a question, comment, observation, visitation from God, uh, you can call or text 415-496-9511 or email radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. That's G-O-T-O productions.com. So this is the Super Bowl segment, which includes tips on how to stay sober during Super Bowl 50. Um, I've done a lot of research on this and I've asked a lot of friends in recovery because uh, I'm personally not a big fan of the Super Bowl. But, you know, being a child in the South, it took attention away from me, which is something I didn't like. Because <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I deserved it. Uh, only child. That's what you get. Only child. Uh, but so there's there's really cool things happening all over the world during the time of the Super Bowl. There are uh, people... In every city, wherever you live, I know we've got listeners all over the place now, like Egypt, Japan. Once again, shout out to those people. We've got listeners on the East Coast, listeners in the Midwest. Uh, most of our listenership, though, I think, is in California. I need um, to get. We need to get yeah. Philippines. We need to, the, pe- Philippines. We need to get Philippines. We need yeah. to get people from the Philippines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we need. I want. Yeah, that's. You know, that's a goal for two thousand. By the way, producer Shar is Filipino. If you don't know that, so oh, no. if you haven't yeah. figured that out, I know. I just have. I just really like Filipino. People. Yeah, I just got a thing for <laughs> Filipinos. Well, no, because you you were like you've got pe- you've got your people and yeah, you know, I've got the South. The, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. No, that's true. Yeah, if you know anyone who's Lebanon. Filipino, producer Shar and you know is saying, "Hey, <laughs> you know, hi, I talk for a living." Yeah, that's all I could come up with. Like that's how producer Shar is saying, 
hey man, listen to the show. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, if you are in the Philippines, hey, write or call. I don't know what time they're on. What is it, like 16 hours ahead or something? Yes. Really? I got that spot on? You're hey. Perfect. Um, the drugs are wearing off. I'm finally getting my real brain back. <laughs> fixed. I, I wonder how, I'm fixed. I can now use heroin like a normal person. You know, at parties and socially, at restaurants. No, I will never be fixed. And I'm happy about that, actually. I, I like I like having, it's not that I like being an addict and an alcoholic, but I love having a concrete program where I have a way to deal with each and everything that comes up in my life. And I like that I have this huge extended family where I'm in any city and I go into a room and I've got family. And if I'm going through something, I'll know that they'll help me. I, I love that. That's cool. It's, um, I guess for, like, I, you know, like your personality obviously is kind of wacky. And, I, I, yeah. But, and if I'll own you, that. And if you didn't have... If, who knows? Who kn- who knows? <laughs> who knows where you would be if you didn't have that kind of structure, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh no, I I would never want to be sober, just dry, as they call it. Because you know, when you're not working a program, that's kind of what they say. They say, he, "Oh, he's not sober, he's dry." Mm-hmm. So it's like when you're not working a program, but you're not using your your drug of choice. All you've got is a really angry, well, to coin a phrase, asshole. <laughs> who is, you know, you've taken all the you've taken all the things that they use to change their feelings and the way they feel and to stuff the void with, and and there's no outlet. So it's like, I have personally, I have to be working a program, or I start getting alcoholic thinking. I think I, I hate this term. It's it's widely used in recovery. Stinking thinking. I I just ah. <laughs> uh, Oh, the catchphrases. But see, but that is a thing, you know. It's like we start to think. It's like you start judging other people. Uh, you're not okay in any situation because everybody else sucks. It's never you. It's you know, kind of like it's kind of like the way uh, a lot of people drink. It's like, oh well, if you had my wife, you'd drink too. <laughs> you know, it's like it's typical, typical alcoholic behavior there. But I love having a program, and there's a program specifically for the Super Bowl. Believe me. Uh, so a couple of years ago, they had a Super Bowl party in Chicago. Basically, about 300 Chicagoans, I guess you would call them, uh, gathered together at a Salvation Army uh, near, which is Chicago's west side, I guess. There was not a beer in sight other than on the commercials where there's a lot. The game was projected onto a 10-foot screen. There was a booming sound system. And, like, the gym was totally loud and filled with people. And um, some pizza place called Home Run Inn donated more than 100 pizzas, which is so cool uh, because many Super Bowl watchers associate the game with alcohol. So people recovering from addictions, you know, can easily end up in tempting situations. Like, the point is, basically, that a thing like this, a sober party, provides an opportunity to get together with people who are also in recovery in a social, like, exciting event where alcohol is not necessarily there to fuel support or camaraderie and having a good time. It it, it reinforces that sobriety is fun because, hey, we didn't get sober to be miserable. No, you get sober to have this awesome life that, that is completely possible. So, I mean... This is this is just one example. I'm they have super sober Super Bowl parties in I'm not going to say every city, but lots of cities, every major city. Um if you live in a smaller city or somewhere where they don't have them, what I would suggest doing is go to a meeting. For anonymity's sake, I'm not going to say what kind of a meeting, but I think you get what I'm talking about. Go to a meeting and uh raise your hand and say, you know, I'm a big sports fan and I want to sit through that long-ass sports show called the Super Bowl with all those commercials. And I'm not even in it for the halftime thing. I like it because of the game. You know, but, you know, maybe you're triggered by beer. Alcohol was your thing, and it's going to be hard. You know, and I'm sure somebody will invite you over to their house who's having a party, and that's also a good way to network and to fellowship. Mm-hmm. Next thing is there are many sober vacations and, and sober events uh, like what I was talking about with with what they did in Chicago with the Super Bowl, there are actually sober cruise and sober vacation lines. There's one in particular called Gratitude Cruises. 
Uh, it's the trademark name of a sober cruise created by this woman to ensure a parallel universe that operates anonymously with professional travel suppliers, and the word sober is never even mentioned. They've got keynote speakers, 12-step meetings, 24-hour fellowship station, Al-Anon meetings, and then group shore excursions. And they're available, like, all year long, all over the world. They go, like, to the Bahamas, to Greece. Uh, it's awesome. So the whole the whole point, like I said, of getting sober is to have a happy life. And there are many of... Um, There are many places like this that put together things for sober people. There's even one a couple years ago uh, that was a cruise for the Super Bowl. So, I mean, they watched it from the cruise, but they also went on all these great adventures and went to museums. And I heard a really cool story from someone about being, uh, I think she was in Greece. She went to Greece, and then they were also, like, in the Sistine Chapel. They went and saw that, and then separately they went to Greece, and they were in some place where, uh, like, literally someone who was a saint, where a saint is buried, and there's a bunch of people in recovery holding hands, whispering the serenity prayer together. I mean, that just gives me goosebumps. That is that is so cool. You're standing on, like, sacred ground, you know, in, in these places that probably just make you feel so incredibly spiritual and, I don't know, touched. Like, if if you don't have a higher power, basically you'll find one in a place like that. That's just, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And to be able to share that with other people in recovery is cool. Now for some tips on how to stay sober during the Super Bowl. So, trying to say this like sports fans would like. Okay, so, one uh, hire a good coaching team. I guess that's what you would I don't know. What I'm trying to say is consult with your sponsor. Um, that would be your coaching team, like you're a football team. Because your early recovery is about survival. If you're in the first year of recovery, then it's likely some people have not completed all 12 steps and are extremely vulnerable. Um, you might not be spiritually fit enough yet to attend events where alcohol is available and where you might be surrounded by people with whom you're likely to fall into old patterns of behavior. Um, good sponsorship is important anyway, especially in this stage. And you can consult with your sponsor before uh, attending something that might be, I don't know, risky. And a good sponsor can probably help you find other people in recovery who throw alcohol-free football parties. I, I mean, I personally hear about them all the time because the Super Bowl is about to happen and I go to meetings. So... Of course, that's not something I would ever do because I'm just going to avoid the Super Bowl (laughs) on that day. Um, Things may be a little different after you have a year or more under your belt, but not always. You know, some situations are always going to be touchy for people. Some people really associate football and beer, and it's hard for them to not drink. Most people I know, and me personally, you know— the Super Bowl and New Year's Eve were kind of amateur nights, you know. Mm-hmm. That's when normal people go out and drink. Um, you know, for me, I guess every day was New Year's. Every day was a bad New Year's Eve for a long time. <laughs> every day was like, we used to do this thing in high school where we'd go, hey, last night was a four-crown night, meaning we did four different types of chemicals. And it was, yeah, <laughs> I know. But to me, that was normal, right? And you're like going, What? Yeah, four different types of chemicals. We would try to make it as many as we could to maybe have a five-crown night, you know. Yeah. I know you're like, what's the fifth? No, seriously, it's amazing. Like, you're mixed. Okay, we've got weed, nitrous, coke. I mean, like alcohol. It's like try to mix as many things as we could to then go, oh, last night we had a five-crown night. Isn't that sick? That's really sick. It's twisted now that I think about it. But back then that was normal. That was what we did. Why? <laughs> I love this. Producer Shar sitting there with this look on her face, like her brow is furrowed, and she's looking up at me, and she, she's like, "But like she was gonna ask a question, like why would you?" And she just, "Why?" <laughs> I I don't know. I'm just because I I think there's there's a story called in our book because I'm an alcoholic because a lot of that questions you know why people ask ask us why we do certain things or we ask ourselves why we can't do certain things and the answer is simply because we're alcoholics it's because we're addicts now in that group of people that I was talking about though only two of us turned out to be actual addicts I mean the rest of them I mean maybe they have it maybe if they really started doing the harder stuff uh often would have maybe turned to addiction but they they started families 
they went to college and actually attended classes, which is something I don't relate to. <laughs> That's, you know, I had other things to do. But I'm just fascinated by the mind of an addict. You know what I mean? Because I, it's one thing to think, okay, let's, we're going to sit down tonight. We're going to freaking party. Right. And we're going to drink a bunch of booze and smoke a lot of weed. Right. And like, what you, whatever. Right. But then, like, that's like next level stuff when you're sitting there going, we want to say that we put five chemicals in our body last night. And then who are you going to tell the next day? Always like amongst amongst ourselves or, yeah, or an yeah, inside joke a, that we can refer right, back to. Right, that's what I'm saying. Is like there's nobody. It's like you're not going, hey, mom, guess what I did yesterday. I know, I know. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> Especially not mine. Alanazi. Yeah, no. So it would be more. I mean, I, I found my old high school yearbooks. And, and one of the people in those events wrote, four crown night. Ha <laughs> ha. Because there was no lol when I was in high school. You had to write out your whole laugh. No, I'm kidding. That's not that's not true actually. But there was no law. I'll still say laugh out loud because really, um, no, no, we did it because it was funny to us, you know, because we were deranged, (laughs) debaucherous kids. That's just that's just how it was. was, I mean, and it wasn't like that every night, you know. That was because that was really in the early phases. So it was, you know. It was more actually in my 20s, like where that kind of stuff happened until I found my drugs of choice. And then it was always a three crown night. <laughs> I, I cut it down to three. I was I was on a maintenance program. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a maintenance program or that that's good. But I'm saying that's how I ended up in the end. I had three things. And those were the things that I did all together. Tip two, I guess, would be build a good defense in sports terms. Um Another thing you should do, I think, and this is especially if you're feeling squirrely, is avoid alcohol-related stimuli, which this is why I think, you know, going to a sober Super Bowl party would probably be the best idea because the Super Bowl has lots of alcohol-related stimuli. In recovery, it's often said that you should be able to go anywhere and do anything if you are spiritually fit, which is true. Uh, But for those in the beginning stages of their recovery, that's a big if. And I've heard this one saying, which I wholeheartedly believe in, if the room you're in doesn't have any alcohol or drugs in it, you're not going to use or drink. You might leave that room and go find one that does. Mm -hmm. But if that's where you stay, if you can find yourself to that room, you're not going to use or drink. Um, And it's important for people who are in the beginning, like people who are newly sober. This is very important stuff to try to avoid the stimuli. Um, It may be especially difficult for football-related parties and activities given how intertwined they often are with alcohol and messages about alcohol. Uh, Alcohol-related stimuli can include, like, stadium signs, displayed advertisements, music, commercials, sitting in an area of a stadium where others are drinking if you're going to the game. You know, if you're here, because we are in San Francisco, so there will be people here attending the game. Uh, I know for a fact that the Arizona Cardinals Stadium has two alcohol-free sections. I'm not sure if our brand new Levi Stadium mm-hmm. does, but I would think maybe it would. I think it's a it's a it's a definite maybe. There's a big chance that it does. I mean, in this it's 2016. The station the stadium was just built what right. last year? Uh, a couple years ago. Uh, well, I just remember it existing last year. Um, but you yeah, remember? Yeah, exactly. I can remember <laughs> a year ago. Ha ha. Uh, somewhat. It's a little fuzzy, but yeah, I'm not quite out of the fog. I don't know when the fog completely lifts. I'm going to say probably at around 15 years. I don't know. <laughs> no, I know people with like 10 and 12 years who you would never even think had touched anything. They're so, they've really got it together. And I hope to be that person one day. Um, but see, so you can ask when you're buying tickets to a game or when you go to the game, say you would like to go sit in the alcohol-free section and ask them about that. If they don't have a specifically designated alcohol-free section, they might, you know, by word of mouth, know of a section where a lot of sober people are sitting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, you know, people can be sober for a lot of reasons. There could be people that are there sober for religious reasons even. Right. Also, uh, once a person just gets out of rehab, a lot of times they become kind of overwhelmed with the desire to feel, quote-unquote, normal again. And if you're like me, you have to remember that you are not normal in your relationship to alcohol and that you have a chronic progressive and often fatal disease that requires complete and total abstinence from all addicted substances for life, but one day at a time. And like I said, it does not mean that you can never have fun again. I, the hardest I've ever laughed in my life 
have been when I'm sober. Like, if I think about the times when I have literally laughed, that gut laugh where your face feels tired, and I hate to liken it to drugs, but it kind of feels like at the next day after you've done acid and the strychnine has your, and also because you were laughing and doing ridiculous stuff, and the strychnine has your jaw all clenched and your face feels all weird. I get that feeling now naturally in sobriety from how hard I laugh just because I'm happy, you know, because life isn't depressing now. I, I don't look around and go, why am I even here? Why did I wake up today? I've yet to have one of those days where I go, well, I'd rather be dead in sobriety. And if I do, I'm definitely, you know, one thing I've learned is I don't have to drink over anything. It used to be, oh, I can't drink. I'm not allowed to drink. But now I look at it as I don't have to. I don't have to take that way out. Was that like a sign for me in the past? If you like, when you would text me and you're like, I hate my life and you're like miserable person. Red flag. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely red flag. And if if I I know that your phone now has been wiped, <laughs> we can't go back over these texts. And of course, I because I was an addict back in those years was using burner phones. Hey, uh, no, we can't go look at those. But yeah, if we could look at those and they would show us the time and the date, and I can remember back to that. I bet you was at a time where I was completely in a funk using, and it was because of my. It's like that's the sad thing about addiction is you're miserable because you choose to be. You don't choose to be an addict, of course, but you put yourself in that situation. It's not like someone who has a different disease, you know, like like cancer or something, who doesn't really have a choice. You know, addiction is, as Mitch Hedberg, my favorite comedian, said, alcoholism is the only disease you can get yelled at for having. You never hear, God damn it, Otto, you have lupus. <laughs> he was such a brilliant, brilliant addict. I mean, that's yeah, that's true. You can only get yelled at for having alcoholism. Uh, the third tip I have is, I guess, also build a good defense, which is find sober buddies. One of the smartest things you can do, in my opinion, to stay sober is to seek out others who are also in recovery and love doing the same things you do. There's many recovering alcoholics who still enjoy football with their with their friends, and they love organizing sober football parties and sober tailgating events. I mean, there are people who are just into that. I've seen them. It's like, you know, they go to meetings and announce themselves um you know, any announcements from the floor, and there's people like, yeah, so uh, if you're into football, we're betting, you know, there's fantasy football, sober fantasy football leagues. I don't know why you would need to be specifically sober or drinking to do fantasy football, because that's kind of nerdy online thing. Uh, but, there, you know, there's lots of parties that you can find out where it's specifically sober people that are watching the game. Uh, because those commercials, I mean, who has the billions of dollars it costs an advertisement to advertise during the football games. Well, alcohol companies, of course. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're going to be seeing a lot of, you know, Budweiser, you know, advertisements. And I mean, actually, I remember, though, the year that Britney Spears did the halftime show, the commercial was for Pepsi because I remember people being so confused. It was like, this commercial seems like it's like 976 have sex with Britney Spears. <laughs> Where does the soda come in? You know, it's like, you too can be with Britney. And I mean, everybody was probably looking at that going, wait, how? Wait, what? Is she going to get naked? And then it's a Pepsi commercial. I did totally remember that. Remember that? It's like, in the end, there was another Pepsi commercial where, like, it's like a hot chick, you know, like a Bud Light chick wearing, like, cut-off shorts, and she opens the, the, um beer right at her crotch <laughs> it, it, like in her crotch and it's foaming out with suds it's like what is that saying <laughs> like, what does that even mean I know, <laughs> right yeah it's like like people are thinking oh let's get drunk and screw but i prefer the dead kennedy song too drunk to fuck as it comes <laughs> when it comes down to that kind of thing so those that's the super bowl segment that's the super bowl 50 segment um i hope i addressed as many of your questions as I could, in that I did give you my tips. Somebody asked if I had any suggestions, and those are my suggestions on how to stay sober this year during the Super Bowl. Um, if you are sober, good luck with that. If if you have any comments or your own personal Super Bowl stories, um, if, God forbid, you relapsed and want to talk about it, uh, call us. Or, or you can also text us at this number, 415-496-9511, or email us. Radio Rehab at GoToProductions.com. That's G-O-T-O Productions.com. Email. I will maybe read your email on the air if you would like to call in. You could possibly be someone 
uh, who we talked to on air. I know um, the last show we had a phone interview with somebody whose child is caught in the crosshairs of this disease, and that was really cool. Uh, next show I'm actually super excited about. Uh, not that I'm not excited about every show. I'm just saying next show I'm super excited about because uh, we have a an interview with a chronic relapser who now has great sobriety under his belt. And when he went out, his last relapse, he was intending to die. So his last hurrah is a story you want to hear. That's going to be seriously a good show. Oh, you're going to love it. I mean, especially you being a non-addict, you're just going to have your mouth, your jaw is going to hit the floor. It's it's going to be great. I know I know I plugged the uh, phone lines and the email, but I forgot to mention you can also check us out on Facebook. There's a radio rehab page uh, on Facebook that you should like. Thank you very much. If you have not yet, please and thank you. <laughs> uh, there's also uh, Instagram. Oh, and we did start a Twitter, but I haven't done anything with it yet. I'm really, really sorry. Um, Getting on the social media thing is about as easy for me as quitting drugs was. <laughs> it's not. Uh, but so my my Instagram is Radio Rehab Dana. I post, I mean, that's actually my personal Instagram. So I post all my personal stuff. Uh, I was going through my computer yesterday and I found some pictures. Uh, you know, I we did that episode called The End of My Run, which was about the end of my, you know, run with drugs and alcohol. And I've been finding some pictures from the end of my run. And they're definitely interesting. Uh, I'm thinking about posting some of those on our Facebook page. Or maybe I'll, you know, actually, I don't know about the Facebook page. Maybe uh, just check out the Instagram. I'm going to put those up on the Instagram, Radio Rehab Dana, D-A-Y-N-A. Uh, and I'm going to post some some bloated pictures. I, I was looking at my face in some of these pictures, and I'm like, y- you can't even tell what I look like. My face was so swollen. And I even found pictures from back when, you know, I was on the uh, up stuff when I was going uptown, but I was also drinking, you know, like a gallon of vodka a day. And I, I probably, I looked like I weighed 98 pounds. I was like disgustingly sucked up. You could see my ribs, but my face was so fat. Like, it looked like my face didn't belong on my body. I had the body of a crackhead and the face of an alcoholic. Jeez. You know, just, I like W.C. Fields. <laughs> like my face, I got like a pink nose and big fat cheeks and my eyes are all squinty and it's terrible. It's, it's terrible pictures, but you know what? If they'll keep somebody sober, I will gladly share those pictures because what did I live through all of that for if not to talk about it and to use my experience, strength, and hope to help someone else? We have so many pictures of you from those days. Oh, so many pictures, and some of them are from way back in the bad days, you know, like like uh, like 15 years ago when, you know, when I was on the heroin. So that those well, are— just, Well, just yesterday, you don't even recall— the exchange of a picture that you took from like two years ago. Uh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, of course I don't. I was drunk. You, well, all I remember is your story saying you showed me this picture of you and you saying you thought you looked good and that you were going to send it to your family. And I looked at it and thinking, that's not my best friend. That, that's what you said. <laughs> so I assumed I, sh- I, I assumed I sent you the picture. I didn't realize I showed it to you. Well, I, I should have sent it to you. I should have, you know. Note to my previous self, know that you're going to relapse and give the picture to Charlene so that she has it. Because at this point, I, I'm knocking on wood as I say this, but I'm stronger in my recovery than I've ever been. And I'm actually really done with that old way of life. So I really believe that I'm not going to go back out again. I can't I can't say that for sure, as no addict or alcoholic should or, or will do. So I'm not. I'm not I would never say oh, I'm never going to get loaded again. But I'll say, you know... Right now, one day at a time, I'm never going to get loaded again. I'm not going to get loaded today. I didn't get loaded yesterday, and I'm probably not going to get loaded tomorrow. And and every day is like that for me. Every day I, I ask for another day like that. And I've been getting them consecutively now for a while, so I feel really good about that. And now that we've gone through all that and I've plugged the social media, it's almost time for Epic Addict Fail. Oh, wait. Let me redo that. Coming up, we've got Epic Addict fail but first it's drunk or southern and as usual i went to boys school to do that thing with my voice police arrest a man for drunken joyride on motorized scooter at walmart a man commandeered a motorized scooter and went on a drunken spree at walmart where he knocked items off shelves while drinking daily daiquiri packages he took from the store in a police report 
Cops summoned to the store arrested Timothy Carr, 48 years old, for disorderly intoxication and retail theft. Uh, Carr told the police that he did not have money on him to pay for the daily daiquiri drink that he had consumed. He is an unemployed transient, and he's being held in county lockup for $6,000 because he's got some past history going on there. And he's been ordered to have no contact with Walmart. Now here's the question. Was he drunk or was he Southern? Okay, I'll tell you. He's both. We have to play. (laughs) We've got to figure out a way to play so that somebody's really guessing. Because I've seen these. I helped you get them. Well, I'm going to tell them anyway. Yeah. So uh, I know we did that last week. Last week, my drunk or Southern, they were also both. But that one was really hard for you to figure out, Producer Shar. You have to admit that. Last week was hard. (laughs) Because you didn't know. You thought he was just Southern. Or no, no, no. You thought he was just drunk. I don't remember. You thought one of those things. Something like that. My main my main thing here when I'm reading this story is that he's drinking daily daiquiri from Walmart. Uh, you not being an alcoholic would probably, you, Char, producer Shar, I'm not talking to the listeners. You, <laughs> producer Shar, not being an alcoholic, uh, might not know about these things. But being a professional drinker, I use, I was the queen of knowing the alcohol content, especially at like 1.57 in the morning when you've got to get it and get out of the store and you're in one of those places that doesn't have hard liquor. Um, I'm not talking about like Walmart, but like um, Fresh Choice grocery store or something like that. They don't have hard liquor, so you have to get like some beer, wine type thing. So I'd be in there with like 60 seconds to spare going through trying to see what had the most alcohol content on it because that's the only thing I was drinking for. It wasn't because I, you know, I'm a big fan of the taste of Boone's Farm. It's all Boone's Farm to me. I'm not really a wine fan or connoisseur. I was more more vodka, bum vodka. The cheaper, the better. <laughs> I said that my mom's friend. Oh my god, it's so funny. My mom's friends in, in uh, up in Napa are these. You know, these are people who like have a vineyard in their yard and they're connoisseurs. And I was saying they were saying I said something about. Um, they mentioned Kettle One or something, and I said, oh, that, that doesn't bother me because one bottle of Kettle One I could support my habit for a week on. I pretty much drank bum, bum vodka. And they're like, mm. what what kind is bum vodka? Or they, they basically thought that was a brand. They're like, bum vodka. Maybe they were picturing it being spelled B-U-M-M-E or something. Oh, bum vodka? I've never heard of that brand. It's so funny. No, bum vodka means I drink stuff that you could either, you know, stuff that bums can usually get with spare change because it's like $2 for like a pint and it tastes like ethyl alcohol. It literally tastes like you just went and picked up some rubbing alcohol and downed it. Don't light a match near your face when you're drinking bomb vodka. So that's Drunk or Southern for today. If you have a uh, suggestion for Drunk or Southern or even for Epic Attic Fail, email RadioRehabAtGoToProductions.com or you can text us at 415-496-9511. It is the end of the show, which means it's time for Epic Attic Fail. I love this story. You got to Google it so you can see a picture of the woman. It's awesome. So a drunk woman woke up inside of a shipping container bound for Los Angeles. You'll see why that's a big deal in a second. Have you ever, like, woken up from a crazy night of drinking inside of a sealed, I don't know, shipping container that was about to embark on a two-week voyage to a foreign land? Hey, if so, then you and Jiang Wu, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Uh, should swap stories. She's from eastern China. So the eastern China resident somehow managed to mistake a giant container for her room at a local B&B and passed out inside. Waking up the following day, she realized her error and began phoning everyone she knew for help from inside the container. Unbeknownst to Wu, the container was exactly one hour away from being placed on a cargo ship bound for Los Angeles. Even after uh, Wu managed to get in touch with the police, she still couldn't actually pinpoint her location because it was always like a race against the clock because she really didn't know exactly where she was. However, she did yell, I'm Jack Sparrow. That being my favorite part of the story. So she's yelling, she's yelling Pirates of the Caribbean stuff like she's proud of it. I think, hey, if you're going to make an epic attic fail, be proud about it. I... Well, my, when I first read it, I was just so excited to the, like, the whole, I'm a pirate. <laughs> yeah, I'm a pirate. I've hijacked a cargo containment. Yeah. Or container. Because <laughs> I, I remember reading the uh, the articles to you, like, 
like I found all these headlines and I was just like, dude, dude, did you hear this? I, I like, know, this is definitely the best one. And you're like, Jack Sparrow, what? <laughs> I know, like, wait, why? I know, because that's like something I've never, I've done a lot of things. I've done a lot of crazy things. Um, well, mainly, you know, when drinking and using, but one thing it's never occurred to me would be to hijack a shipping container. Although, remember when Robert Downey Jr., like, this is at the end of his drinking and using, he was found in a toddler's bed in Malibu, remember? Oh, yeah. So he mistook some neighbor's home for his house. I mean, can you imagine going home and it's like there's a drunk person in your child's bed and on top of that they're a famous actor? <laughs> I mean, I think, well, I think it was really funny and cool, um... On his part, though, is that when he hosted Saturday Night Live right after that, he was basically like heard any good stories lately. You know, and everybody <laughs> yeah, laughed. I remember but that. I think he took that from Paul Rubens. I love Pee Wee Herman. Mad respect for that guy. I'm a big fan of his performance art. When he hosted the MTV Video Awards, and it was right after the whole movie theater thing, he went, So, heard any good jokes lately? <laughs> everybody stood up. Aren't, aren't they filming a new. Pee-wee's Big Adventure or something like that? Yes, indeed, they are, and I'm very excited about it. That's so crazy. I am the biggest fan. I love Paul Rubens. I think he's brilliant. I even, I don't like when they have him play a bad character, but like he was in movies like Blow. He did a great job. Speaking of addiction, he was in Blow. <laughs> yeah, he played, he played the hairdresser. He was so good in that, and he's actually been on this season of The Blacklist, too. I'm just thinking of old episodes of Pee-wee's Playhouse with... Uh... Phil Hartman. And uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Yes. Aw, Phil Hartman. That's so sad. That was such a sad thing. The tragic way to go. Um, but, yeah, I, I love Pee-wee's Playhouse. They had such amazing guests on that. I don't know. I'm hoping at some point we can get Paul Rubens on the show. And if he's promoting a movie, it's highly likely that it could happen very soon. And is that, are you Are you going to ask him? I any, so am. You ever, have you heard any good jokes lately? Oh, I totally am. Hurt? No. Well, no, because that's. I'll say, hey, have you heard about a woman hijacking a shipping container lately? And see if he laughs. No, Pee-wee is awesome. So it's now the end of the show, but hey, thank you for listening. And please stay tuned next week because it's going to be an awesome show. We have a special guest on. It's The Relapse, a.k.a. One Last Hurrah, before someone got sober and committed himself to long-term sobriety. If you've got a story that you would like to tell or you would like to maybe be on the show, contact us, Radio Rehab at GoToProductions.com. That's G-O-T-O-Productions.com. Call or text 415-496-9511. Hey, let us know how your Super Bowl went. Did you stay sober during the Super Bowl? I hope so. Uh, my bets are on you that you'll stay sober because you can. Sex and drugs and rock and roll Is all my brain and body need Sex and drugs and rock and roll Is very good indeed Keep your silly ways Or throw them out the window The wisdom of your ways